If you're new to Grace Point, welcome. This is not normal. I am not normally the one who is up here speaking. I only speak up here maybe a couple of times a year. And I know I've said this to our church family before, and and I'll just say it again. There are two places that are absolutely my most favorite places to teach. One of them is not even on this continent, okay? So it almost doesn't count. It's on another continent. But when it comes to the continental U.S., this is by far, far my most favorite place to be able to teach, to come together and together to open up God's word and to learn from God together. I don't know if it's just that um, we can be real with each other, if it's that we've exchanged stories. You guys know my family and you know our stories, you know our celebrations and triumphs and you know the struggles and and things that we've walked through and you've prayed for us and you've walked through them with us and same with us with you where you've shared your story and your lives and your victories and your struggles and we've walked with you through them. And isn't that what it's about anyway? That we come together and we, we knock it around and we're walking together, figuring out as a family, as a church, as believers in Jesus Christ, what it is to live out this faith that we have in Christ, what it is to be a disciple of Christ. Turn in your Bible or bring up on your phone, your at, Bible app, And turn to the book of John. We're going to hang out there today. And uh, as you're turning there, I want to tell you about a guy that I met on a plane recently. I was flying home from some meetings at work. And and I was on the plane. And we're taxiing out to get ready to take off. You know how planes do. They kind of get to the, the end of the runway. And they pause for a second. And they rev up their engine because they're getting ready to take off. And as the engine are revving up, the guy sitting to my right immediately does this. And I'm thinking, okay, he's Muslim, he's praying. And within 10 seconds time, the guy to my left does this. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I should be praying. You know, it was just like an automatic response. Did I not get the memo? Is the plane going down? You know, what's happening here? And so I literally thought, well, I guess I should be praying too. And then I kind of chuckled at myself. So as I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about these two guys who are praying, I just began to pray for them. And this is what I pray, God would you help both of these men come to know you as their personal savior? So we take off, nothing exploded. The engine didn't fall off. The wings didn't fall apart. We were all good. We take off and, and I've got my book and I've got some assignments I'm trying to get done for a class that I have. And so I'm busy reading, but the guy, the Catholic guy sitting next to me is kind of chatty. All right. And so he's asking me all kinds of questions and I'm talking to him. But the thing is, is, is he was from Vietnam and he had a great English, but I was having a hard time understanding him because of my own hearing issues, understanding his Vietnamese accent. Okay. And so he would talk and I would kind of like almost have to like watch his lips to understand him. And he'd say something. I'd say, what? And he'd have to repeat it again. I felt sorry for the poor guy, but I was also getting quite annoyed. Can I just confess, you know, because you've done it something. I've got stuff to be doing here, right? I've got this assignment. I've got a deadline. It needs to be turned in. And all of a sudden it's like the still small voice of God saying, didn't you just pray that they would come to know me? Yeah, you're the, mm-hmm. yeah I heard that down here. <laughs> Hello, like shouldn't the light bulb come on? So I closed my book up and, and he saw that on the cover of my book, it said something like the subtitle says something like interpreting the scriptures. And so he said this, so do you read the Bible? And I said, yes, I do. And uh, I said, do you read the Bible? 
To which he didn't answer, but instead he responded, well, I've heard that unless I convert to being a Baptist, I'm going to hell. I know. I, I think I actually laughed out loud when he said this. I think I said something like, well, I'm really sorry you've heard that. I don't think that's necessarily true. And then he said this, are you Baptist? And I thought, well, I don't know that religious affiliation or denomination, which one you identify with is going to be helpful in this conversation. So I just said, well, I'm a Christ follower. And so we began to have this spiritual conversation going back and forth. And no matter which way it went, which path it went down, it always ended up on the other other end that he thought he was good enough to have eternal life, that he thought that he could do right enough to gain God's approval. And so this conversation went on for a while and the plane's beginning to descend. And I'm thinking, okay, there's going to have to be a a second conversation, a 1.2 version here, and I'm probably not going to be in it. And so I'm thinking, what? What do I do? And uh, so I said, so I know that you pray because I saw you do this. And he laughed. And I said, but do you read the scriptures? You asked me, do, do you read the Bible? And he kind of, he said, uh, you know, not really. And I said, well, do you, do you own a Bible? He said, yes. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the book of John. And I want you to begin reading the book of John. And any time that you open up the book of John, just begin. And I took him, I showed him how to do it. And I said, just begin where it has that big number one. Start with chapter one. And before you read, I want you to pray this. God, show me your way and show me your truth. When you come back and you read again, I want you to pray this before you read. God, show me your way and show me your truth. And we ended that conversation and praying to this day that he will come to know Christ. But I gave him the book of John for a very clear reason. John is very simple to read. And when you read the scripture, he even says in John chapter 20, why he wrote the scripture so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And that by believing in him, we might have life. So God or John is continually taking us in the gospel of John that belief equals life. Faith in Jesus Christ equals eternal life. In the book of John, we see here that, that John lays out for us seven I am statements that Jesus says about himself. You know, some of them. I'm the vine, I'm the bread of life, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the door, I am the good shepherd. And it's the good shepherd that we're going to look at today, that we're going to dive into in the book of John chapter 10. Now, you need to know straight up, because I, don't, I just want to spell any you know, pre-misconceptions or anything like that, that I am not a sheep expert. I know you might think I was, you know, looking at me and everything, but I'm not a sheep expert, and I'm going to guess here that 99.9% of you in this room are not sheep experts either. In our Western American worldview, what we think of when we think of sheep are cute and cuddly stuffed animals that we give to an expecting mother to decorate her infant's room with, right? They're adorable. That's how we think of sheep. Not one time has any of us in here ever like met a guy who got off his Harley Davidson, unzipped his leather jacket, flexed his bicep, and showed you the tattoo of the sheep that he had just put on his arm, right? Because why? Because sheep aren't tough. There's going to be a lion. There's going to be a serpent. There's going to be a wolf. There's going to be something tough, but it's not going to be a sheep because sheep aren't tough. But we all know this, that sheep need a shepherd. And we know this, that it's the shepherd's responsibility to take care of the sheep. Now, as we dive into this, and we're going to see where uh, 
we're going to read some words where Jesus is talking about sheep and about shepherd. The thing is, is this is not just isolated to this particular passage. Just a few moments ago, you guys read Psalm 100. We're talking about that God created us and we are the sheep of his pasture, right? Moses was considered to be the shepherd of Israel. Anytime that God had appointed a leader over his people, they were considered to be the shepherd of his people. In Ezekiel, the prophet through, or God through the prophet speaks and says, look, these these leaders of Israel are no longer shepherding the people right. They're plundering the people. And he says, I'm going to send the shepherd and it's going to be one shepherd who will tend my flock. Jesus comes on the scene. He's walking to the city and he says this, it says this about him, that he has compassion on the people because why? They were like sheep without a shepherd, right? Several hundred times throughout scripture, we see sheep, we see shepherd. And so we're just going to look at just a fraction Matter of fact, we're even going to look at just a splinter of the entire narrative that all of this fits together here in this chapter. So in John chapter 10, verse, we're going to read beginning with verse 1, and we'll go through verse 6, and we'll pick up some of the others in here in just a minute. But it says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So let me give you a tool just to put in your kind of like your Bible study toolbox whenever you're looking at scriptures. Anytime you come to scripture, it's always really good to consider the context. Ask the who, what, when, where, and why. What's going on? Who's he speaking to? Who's the audience? And so in order to do that, you can kind of look at the bookends that surround this passage. You could go to the end and you could read what takes place before it, what takes place after it, okay? So it would be, you know, we might think in this context, because it's sheep, that this is a quaint kind of, little fireside chat maybe that Jesus is having with his disciples or a small group of people or something like that. But if we were to look into the scripture and we were to fast forward in this chapter just a little bit, you could go to verse 19 and verse, through verse 21. And it says this, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them said, he has a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? But there's another group. The other group says this, others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So you've got two groups here who are hearing what Jesus is saying. You've got one group who thinks that he's deity. You've got the other group who thinks this is nothing but insanity. You've got this group over here who's thinking this this is divine what Jesus is doing and what he's speaking about. And this one over here is saying that he's delusional. So if we were to back up, so let's go to the end. Let's go before these verses and let's see what's going on because who's he talking to and why is there a division to begin with anyway? We have to go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 9. And what we're going to do is we're going to fast forward through this chapter. And I'll point out, if you're following along, I'll point out some scriptures to you. But this will be a great chapter to go back and to dissect and to dive in on your own. But here's what's taking place. The beginning of chapter 9, Jesus encounters a blind man who had been blind since birth and begging on the streets. 
So Jesus does what he does. He spits in the ground. He takes with his saliva in the dirt. He makes a mud pie. He smears it across the guy's eyes and then tells him to go and wash at the pool of Siloam. Sounds like a spa, nearly. So the guy obeys. He does exactly what Jesus told him to do. And when he does, he comes back and he can see. Now, this guy's neighbors are dumbfounded. They're asking all kinds of questions. Matter of fact, if you looked in verse 8, it says, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It's he. And others said, No, but it looks like him. And the guy's going, It's me. It's me. Let me tell you what happened. There's this guy who spit in the dirt with his saliva. He made some money, smeared it across my eyes, told me to go and wash. And when I did, I could see. They were astonished. And so what they do is they took this blind man to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, because they knew that something supernatural had happened here. And so if you look at verse 13, they bring him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees want to know what's going on. So here the guy goes again. He's telling this story all over again, kind of the same song, third verse kind of thing right? I can tell you what happened. Here was this guy. He spit in the dirt. He rubbed the mud across my eyes. He told me to go and wash in the pool. And then I could see that's what happened. The Pharisees are upset about this because it happened on the Sabbath. And any person who was of God would not do anything like this on the Sabbath. And so they bring in this man's parents. Now, I love this story. Because it's not like we're just getting like a a small little glimpse. We're getting like every character that is there on the scene. And we're getting to see their like over emotional response to what Jesus has done in disrupting their normal. So they bring the guy's parents say, is this your son? And was he born blind? They're like, yeah, that's our son. And yes, he was born blind. Well, how did he gain his sight? Well, we don't know. Why don't you ask him? He's big enough. He's a big boy. He can answer his own questions. So they bring him back again to the Pharisees and the Pharisees say, okay, tell us again what happened. He's like, why are you asking me again? I've already told you this. What has happened? Let me tell you this. And he says it so clear in verse 25. One thing I know that once I was blind, but now I see the Pharisees are disturbed. They cannot stand it that Jesus of Nazareth is rising up this crowd. They do not like it that he's claiming to be from the father. And they ask him a question in verse 40. And this is where it bridges together what we read at the very beginning about the sheep and about the shepherd and hearing his voice. So Jesus, who's he talking to? He's talking to a very hostile crowd. He's talking to religious people. He's talking to a divided group, some who believe, some who do not believe. In in verse 40, it says, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you. And he goes on and he reads what we read at the very beginning. The thing is, is the Pharisees were capable in every physical standard to be able to see, but in every spiritual aspect, they were completely blind. They were spiritual, religious people who saw Jesus, who saw the works that he did, but their response to that was complete disbelief. When we have an experience with God, When you see Jesus at work, when you hear his voice, 
It is an invitation to follow him. We've been in this series of what is called voices for the past six weeks. We want to hear God's voice. We want to listen. We want to hear him speak. We want to follow and do his will. But we're at a point now. Remember, you've been writing things on the cards and putting them back there on the wall and how God is speaking to you. But now here comes the question is how will you respond? Not will you respond? Because there's only two responses when God speaks. You either follow or you don't. The passage is actually quite simple. The shepherd leads, the sheep hear his voice, the sheep follow. And so the question we're going to be looking at is how do we respond to the voice of God? The first one I want to tell you is this, is that we respond by following in awe of the God that speaks to us. The reality is, that God speaks to you. Yes, I want to hear God's voice. Yes, I want to listen to him. Yes, I want him to speak. Yes, I want to know his will. But in all of that, when God speaks, it's not so much that he speaks or how he speaks or what he says, it's that he spoke to you. The God of the universe who set the foundations of the world, who created All things by himself and for himself. King of kings, clothed in splendor and glory and majesty, speaks to me. God speaks to you. And if anything, that should bring us to awe. It says in verse 3, very simply, it's not complicated. The sheep hear his voice. Whose voice? The shepherd's voice. Well, who's the shepherd? It's one thing I love about scripture is, is you want to ask questions of scripture, scripture can answer those questions for you. The, the scripture can defend itself. The scripture can define itself. So let's look in this passage. Who's the shepherd? Well, look in verse nine. It says this, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Who's the shepherd? The shepherd is the only way. Shepherd is salvation. The shepherd is the one who saves. In verse 10, who's the shepherd? The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Who's the shepherd? He's the giver of life. In verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Who's the shepherd? He's the one who's the sacrifice. He's the one who lays down his life for the sheep. The hireling don't care anything about the sheep. The Pharisees don't care anything about the sheep. When we would go on vacation, we would go to a... uh, a hotel, and we would get a room, all five of us with two queen beds, you know, just to save a little bit of money. And one of the kids would sleep on the floor. This was when they were a lot smaller. And uh, we would go to that hotel. But when we would go to that hotel, we would do this. Now, this may not be parenting, uh, good parenting etiquette, but we would allow the kids to jump on the bed. 
And so they would jump from one bed to the next bed and they could flip and land on the other bed, right? Don't judge me, okay? Don't, no, this is a judgment-free zone. But why would we do that? Because we don't allow them to do it at our, at our house. Why would we do that? Because it wasn't our beds. We didn't own the beds. We didn't care about that. And it's the same way that Jesus is referring to the Pharisees. They didn't care anything about the sheep. Jesus is saying here, I'm the good shepherd. I care about my sheep. Who's the shepherd? In verse 18, it says he's the resur- or excuse me, it says that no one takes it from me, but I lay down my own life on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. He's the resurrection. He has all authority. Every one of us in here, if we wanted to, we could will to lay down our life. But I don't know anyone who once they're dead could will to take up their life again. This is the shepherd who speaks to us. The one who's the only way, the one who's the giver of life, the one who lays down his life for his sheep, the one who has authority to take it up again and owns and loves his sheep. This is the shepherd who speaks and we ought to follow with awe that he speaks to us. Number two, how do we respond to God? We follow in continual intimacy with the one who knows us. Follow in continual intimacy with the one who knows you. In verse three, it says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. I was at a conference recently and the person who was going to be speaker, and I really like a lot. They've offered, authored a few books that I have devoured. And so I saw this person who was getting ready to go up and speak. And they walked by me and, and they said to me, hey, Lori, how are you doing? I, and like struck up this conversation with me. I had no clue that this person even knew who I was. And so I'm standing there, I'm having this conversation. And finally, I just said, how did you know my name? And they said, well, your name tag? I was like... You know, the value that I thought that I felt was now depleted. But when somebody knows your name, does it not communicate to you value, importance, in love, uniqueness, care? It says here that the shepherd calls his sheep by their name. Trust is built in the context of intimacy and intimacy is built in the context of relationship. God knows you. He knew you long before you ever came to know him. In Jeremiah 1, 5, it says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Psalm 139 says that he knows when we sit down and when we rise up, that he understands our thoughts from afar that he has scrutinized our path and our lying down. And listen, he is intimately acquainted with all our ways. Even before there's a word on your tongue, he knows it all. He knows you better than you know you. So if anybody's going to lead you, it probably shouldn't be you. But the shepherd who calls his sheep by their name. I love it in Luke where Jesus talks about a sheep that goes missing. Sheep, you know, are directionally dysfunctional. 
They are. They will, they are prone to wander off. And when they wander off, they'll get into trouble. They may get into so much trouble and all these other little sheep will follow them. One sheep with his head down, just wandering off may just like stumble off of a cliff. And because all the other sheep are following him and they're wandering off, every sheep will just continue to continue to go right off the cliff until the shepherd comes and stops them. They are directionally dysfunctional. Sheep are defenseless. They don't hunt. They're hunted. They don't have sharp teeth and claws and fangs and venom or they don't have wings that they can sprout and fly away when trouble comes. And have you ever seen a sheep run? I mean, they can't run away from the enemy. They can't even roar or growl at the enemy. They're just kind of like, meh. And I mean, does that terrify you? No, a sheep is nature's morsel just dangling out there for the enemy to come and have an easy snack. But Jesus paints this picture in the book of Luke when the Pharisees are upset with him again. Shocker, spoiler, I know. They're upset with him because he's eating with sinners. He says, look, let me tell you a story. He talks about the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one of them went missing. And so the shepherd goes out looking for the sheep. And when he finds that sheep, he picks up that sheep and he puts it over his shoulder and he carries that sheep back. And when he returns, he gets together with all the other shepherds and rejoices. We ought to feel the love in that, that he knows us by name. But also I want you to pay attention. It's not just about the individual sheep. It's about the shepherd who knows the sheep by name, who knows which one and that there is one that is missing. The shepherd who goes after the sheep to look for it. The shepherd who picks up that sheep and comforts that sheep. The shepherd who comes back together and rejoices. It's about the shepherd. I do good to keep up with our three children, let alone a hundred sheep. I and mean, when we go on vacation, we stop somewhere, go to the bathroom, get out, get back in the car. You know, Mike and I are kind of like, so is everybody in the car? I mean, we don't have the posture. Okay, I think we got the majority. We're good to go, right? Although that is tempting sometimes. <laughs> there have been times though that we lost our children. Um, judgment free zone, remember, right? So we... Back in Grace Point's early history, we were meeting in a school, and uh, which meant that North Point New Members class, which many of you here have attended over in this other building, was actually at our house. So we would bring this trailer, we would set up for worship, and, and uh, when it was over, we would tear everything down, put it in the trailer. So what had happened is the service had ended, we were all loading up in the trailer, and even our kids had jobs that they were loading stuff up in the trailer too. And, and I got out of there, I went home to make sure the food was prepared, so all the people came to our house, and we're eating lunch, and we're chatting with everyone, and the doorbell rings. And there's a church member standing at our door with our children. And they're like, are you missing anything? And Mike and I are like, yeah, yeah, I thought, you know, I thought you had them. No, I thought you had them, right? Well, you think that we would have learned our lesson. um, But there was a second time that, um, actually, there's a third, but I don't have time to go into that. But the second time I'd gone to Walmart alone. 
And I was working on some photos as a gift for somebody. And Mike came with our youngest, with Josh. And uh, we're talking for a minute. And Mike's like, would it be okay if I left him with you and let me go and do, you know, and I'll catch up with you guys later. I said, yeah, that's absolutely fine. So I'm at the photo kiosk and Josh wants to go play on the PlayStation things. He's about 10 years old. And so that, yeah, go, go play. It's really close in line of sight. So I get busy focusing on what I'm doing and get my photos, wrap them up, go to the checkout counter, go to my car, get in the car. I'm driving home. And the phone rings, to which I almost didn't answer it. And on the other line, I hear this voice when I said, hello. This kid says, mom, you left me at Walmart. (laughs) So because of that little sheep's attitude, I just left him there. And uh, he's still in counseling and we're paying dearly for it. The sheep, the shepherd knows the sheep by name. And they know his voice. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. What would happen is a shepherd could could get together with several other herds and with other shepherds and the shepherds may be over here hanging out and all the sheep are now congregated together. But when it was time for that shepherd to leave, all he had to do was to make a certain noise, a certain call. And the sheep would know that shepherd's voice. They didn't get confused. They knew that shepherd's voice when that shepherd calls. This word here actually means it's not like they just heard like a, like a, a guttural sound or something like that. It's like they heard in a way that they could understand. There had to be, again, intimacy in the context of relationship. Trust that was built in the context of intimacy between the shepherd and the sheep. Jesus, in chapter, John chapter 5, verse 39, he brings an awareness to us that when I read it, I think that we are in danger of having a knowledge of God, but not really knowing him at all. That we could be religious, even be able to quote, be in love with Great scripture that we put in hand lettering and hang on our wall, our coffee mug. But it not necessarily know God who speaks to us in the scriptures. He says this in John chapter 5 verse 39 to the Pharisees. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness in me. But yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. They knew the scriptures. But they did not follow Jesus. If you are in regular communion with God, then I would say that you are regularly reading his word. And if you are not then regularly reading his word, then you are probably not in intimate communion with God. And while that might sound just straightforward, It's also truth because God speaks to us in his word and we follow him. Number three, how do we respond? We follow in deliberate obedience to the one who leads us. We follow in deliberate obedience the one who leads you. In verse four, it says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, I love this, 
he goes before him, before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. He goes before them. This is a great picture of a servant leader that Jesus models for us. He's not like a general hanging out in the back of the troops and passing on doubt orders throughout the ranks until it gets to the front line of the sheep. He goes out before the sheep. I don't know what it is that God might be calling to you or what it is that he has spoken to you over the past or what he might be leading you to do. But I can tell you this. He doesn't say, hey, this is what I want you to do. Hey, good luck with that. He goes out before the sheep and he's leading the way of the sheep. There's two ways that when he's leading that we can choose to respond. We can either intentionally respond with disobedience. And I mean intentionally, like accidental disobedience. Intentionally respond in disobedience or we can immediately respond in obedience. So let me give you examples of both. Jonah, one of our favorite stories that we love to tell kids over in the kid area, right? It's the story that we learned when we were growing up as a kid about Jonah and the well. But this is what the scripture says. It's incredibly plain. In Jonah chapter one, verse one through three, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Did he hear from God? Yes. A voice from God? Yes. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and it said, you said, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up upon me. But Jonah did what? He ran away from the presence of the Lord. He did exactly the opposite of what God had told him to do. Now, I know that not everyone in here has children. And I know that those of us that are sitting in here, our children would never deliberately disobey us. So let's talk about other people's children. Okay. Have you ever told a child to do something and they willfully and deliberately completely ignore you? Do not pay attention to what it is you just said. And what do you say to them when you realize that when you just want to like take them by the collar, right? You just say, did you not hear me? It's the wrong question. Yes, they heard you. The question is, why did you not obey me? I'm sure Jonah had some really great reason. Maybe it assessed that, you know, the Assyrians, he knew their reputation, their murderous reputation, and, and he didn't want, it was too dangerous for him to go there. Maybe he had just assessed that he didn't believe that they should have the compassion that God wanted to have on them. So maybe he didn't want to go. I don't know what his reason was, but I do know this, that he intentionally disobeyed God. Well, let's look at Isaiah. Somebody who immediately responded, immediately obeyed God's voice. We pick up, if we picked up in, in Isaiah chapter six, what we see is that, that, that Isaiah sees God who's sitting on a throne. It says the train of his robe filled the entire room and there's seraphim and they are crying out and speaking, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And because Isaiah is experiencing God's glory, he realizes the depravity of his own sin and the depravity of the sin of those around him. And so the seraphim, Um, fly down and they touch his mouth. And then it says that Isaiah knew, he knew that his guilt had been taken away. And then it says in verse eight, and I heard the voice of the Lord. So here's Isaiah having experience with God. He hears the voice of the Lord. And what does God ask? 
Whom shall I send? And who's going to go for us? And Isaiah looked around like, anybody else here in the room? Well, I don't, I don't know, God, who, who would go for you? Where do you want him to go? Hey, let's talk about this. Let, let me get my calendar out and um, let's check this out. Okay, so when are you thinking about somebody needing to go? It's not what happened. Isaiah experienced God. God asked a question without all the blanks filled in. Who would go? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Without calculating it, without overanalyzing it, in immediate obedience to God. What we want at times is we want God to reveal the second step before we'll take the first. And God wants us to take the first step before he reveals the second. Isn't that what we all pretty much look for? Obedience looks like that we respond when God speaks and where he leads. The future becomes more visible when we obey him in the present. I remember um, Mike had gone to Ukraine. I had a three-month-old. It was our firstborn, Jordan. And he came back from his mission trip to Ukraine. And he was telling me all the stories about people who had come to know Jesus. And we're sitting there on the couch. And I'm holding our three-month-old. And I'm watching my husband. Tears streaming down his face like the ugly, uncontrollable man kind of crying, okay? And we're sitting, I'm listening to him and I hear the passion in his heart. And he says this, I think that God might be leading us to go overseas. And I'm watching my tender hearted husband, tears flowing. And I thought this, you'll get over it. You'll get over it. I didn't hear God's voice leading us. And yet over a period of time, two years, I found myself sitting in a recliner. Now he had a six month old, two and a half year old. And I'm in the scriptures and reading the word. And let me just say this to young moms. I I know, let let me chase the rabbit here for a minute. Moms, I know the insanity that takes place at home with littles. But I will tell you this. Your time in the word might look messy and chaotic and not neatly packaged. And you might have crayon marks in your Bible where some kid has like colored through it. And I promise you, it will get interrupted. But your children are not an excuse to not be in his word. Those of you who are work, I say the same thing. I understand what it's like to get off at work late at night and still not have the to-do list done. And you wake up in the morning and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to get on it right now. Your work and your to-do list is not an excuse to not spend time in the word of God. So I was in the word of God. It was messy, but God began to speak to me that he wanted our family to leave and go. He didn't say where. I didn't know when. I just knew that this is what he was leading us to do. And God was orchestrating all the circumstances because there had been a guy at my husband's seminary who was speaking. Mike invited him to come and speak to our church. I'm listening to this guy and God's just confirming everything all the way, bringing the calling, the marriage of our mission calling together. We both knew that this is where God was leading us so much so that when it was over, Mike didn't even know that I was wrestling with God about going overseas. All he did is he came up to our van, he knocked on the window 
with the kids in the back seat, strapped in their car seat. And he said, what did you think? And all I said is, I think we're going. And he said, I think we are too. We both knew. We respond immediate obedience to where God calls and immediately when he calls us. Here's the fourth thing, the last thing. We follow by adjusting to a purpose that is bigger than our own. Follow by adjusting, let me put it differently. Follow by adjusting to a purpose that is bigger than you. If we were to flip back to chapter nine, where we were looking at the blind guy, right? The disciples asked Jesus this question. They wanted to know why the man was blind. And this is the answer that Jesus gave them. This man was born blind so that God's power could be shown in him. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I came that they might have abundant life. And that word abundant actually means beyond necessity, that this is what he wants to give you. If we look at Psalm 23, you're familiar with this passage. Many of you could quote it. The first three verses, matter of fact, say them out loud with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for, for what? He leads me to do right for what purpose? Something much bigger than it's just about me for his name's sake. I want to do God's will. I want what's best for my family. I want to make the right decisions. I want clarity. I want all of those things. But God works and he wants us to do what's right. But he works for his good, for our good. God works for our good. He gives us abundant life. He leads us in paths of righteousness as his sheep. But he also works for his glory. It's for his name's sake. He leads you for your good, but for his glory. He works in you for your good, but for his glory. Not too long ago, it was about a year ago, actually, I was uh, getting ready to take a team to an Asian country. And everyone on that team, they were, re- they were wrestling with, you know, is God wanting me to go, not go? Is this the right time? What about the finances? And all those decisions that, that come when you're making a, a major decision to travel to a foreign country for two weeks. Get it, totally understand it. And even at that time, the country had run out of fuel. So now we haven't left yet, but we're trying to make a decision. Do we go? Because airports are closing down and airlines are saying, we're not going to continue to go back in there. Do we go or do we, or do we just cancel the trip altogether? So we're praying, trying to discern God's will. And we went. So while we're there, we took one day and we went up to the vill- a village. And there was a lot of things that happened while we were there. But in this particular moment, in this village, on this mountain where... tragedy had taken place not too long before that with a major earthquake. We go to visit some people, new believers who had come to know Christ because of the humanitarian work that some other believers had come in to do. And so we're meeting with these believers. And here's the reality of this story before I move forward with it is whenever I have these kinds of stories, I feel like I need to sanitize them a little bit before I share them with an American audience. 
Because there are things that we read about in scripture that we can handle and we think, yes, God works in amazing, miraculous ways. Um, But when we hear about them, you know, in a different environment, like God is working in amazing, unexplainable, illogical ways, it kind of sends us out of our um, theological comfort zone. So we're in this village and we're, there's music happening. We're singing and we're clapping and, and there's tambourines going. And this woman comes up to me and she says, you need to go to the back and pray for this woman who's demon possessed. Immediately I thought, you need to get the pastor. (laughs) Matter of fact, I may have said, you need to get the pastor. And she said, you need to come and you need to pray back here for this girl, this demon possessed. And it wasn't my first time having lived in Africa. But so I go back there and I see this girl and she's thrashing around the floor. And team members begin to gather around. And some of them are saying, well, maybe she's in a seizure. Maybe she's just sick. We're not really sure. And, And the believers are saying, we've got to pray for this girl who is demon possessed. They are completely aware of the spiritual condition of this girl. So this is what we do. We kind of gather around this girl. Maybe she's dehydrated. Does somebody have a water bottle? She begins with more thrashing about. She'd sit up. She would say some things to us that were evil. And somebody else said, maybe she's diabetic. Anybody got a piece of candy? And so what are we doing? We are trying to put spiritual matters into our pre-packaged, logical, explainable box. So we stepped out in faith that God was going to work. And we began praying over this girl, all of us. We began reading scripture and we made sure that the translator was translating what it was that we were saying because there was a crowd that had begun together. A crowd, the people that were not believers. And I found myself thinking, Oh, dear God, we are putting your name on the line. These people pray. They just don't pray to one God and through Jesus Christ believe that that's how you get to God. But we're praying in the power of Jesus' name to show up and to heal this girl. 45 minutes goes by. And uh, it's not dramatic at all, she sits up, a smile on her face. It reminds me in Mark when a, a demon-possessed man um, is, is freed and healed. It says that, that all of a sudden it was like he was in his right mind. And that's how I could describe this girl, that she was now in her right mind. And the thing about that story is this. So I could go back and I could look at all the little sheep that were going to go on this team. And we're not really sure, is God leading us? Well, we think that God might be leading us. And Well, now there's not fuel and God, we just want to hear your voice. And so now we're going to go. And, and, and the reality is this, is you would just had like individual sheep who you don't even know their name. You will probably never meet them in this lifetime who were obedient to follow God for a very short trip to go to a place in a location I couldn't get back to if I wanted or find it on a map. And we experienced God. And the reality was it wasn't about the individual sheep who obeyed. It was about God who was doing something much bigger than us. And so the question is, and God speaks to you, how will you respond? Not will you respond. But how are you going to respond? There's not a fence to ride or straddle.
we either respond in obedience or in disobedience. Following the shepherd when he speaks. Do you know his voice? Are you intimately acquainted with him? Are you in continual relationship with him? Are you in awe that the shepherd even speaks to you? What has God been speaking to you? And maybe it's that you've not actually even become a sheep, that you've never chosen to follow Jesus Christ. Today is a day for you to, you choose to respond, to follow or not to follow. So take whatever it is that God has been speaking to you over these past weeks, or maybe in the last day, or maybe in the last 30 minutes. And we're gonna invite you, here's a moment, you're gonna stand. And we're gonna be singing a song that actually has these words in it, come to the altar. What do you do when you go to the altar? In the Old Testament, they actually took the sheep as an act of worship and sacrificed the sheep on the altar. Take whatever it is that you're holding on to be willing to lay it before God on the altar. God, we come before you, and most of all, I thank you for your word that you've given to us, that it is rich and it is active, and God, you are continually teaching us. God, I pray that we would be sensitive to your spirit that lives within us. God, let us worship you in awe that you speak to us. Lord, speak to us and let us hear your voice. And God, when we hear your voice, God, may we obey. God, thank you that you gave your life for your sheep. And we praise you as the only one who had authority to take up that life again. In Jesus' name.